I invite you to turn me in your Bibles to Amos chapter 5, verse 4. Amos chapter 5, verse 4 in your Bibles. And we continue on our series, The Ultimate Love Story. And we're studying from the Word of God together what God's message is to us and our hearts this morning. The sermon entitled this morning is called The Chasings of Love. The Chasings of Love. Amos chapter 5. I know it's in, the, it's in Old Testament, right before Matthew. There's a few books before, like maybe like four or five, no, four, five, six books before. Little tiny book there. Amos chapter 5, verse 4 in your Bibles. The chasings of love. Within every single one of us, there is a hunger to seek after love, and to be sought after by love also. But unfortunately, most people are searching for love in all the wrong places in this world. For this love that we're searching for cannot be found in this world, but only from a God who is love this morning. Amen? So this morning, may we be able to see that what we have been chasing all along has actually been chasing us. Let us pray. Father, thank you for love. Help us to see this morning. Help us to understand and experience. Roll back the things of this world away from our thoughts and our feelings that we may see Jesus this morning. It is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amos chapter 5 verse 4. What are we to do in order to live? Notice the Bible says here in Amos chapter 5 verse 4. The Bible says, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye who? Me, the Bible says. Who is this referring to? Me? God. Seek ye me, and you shall who? You shall what? Live. So seek the Lord, and you will live. So what is it that we must do in order to have eternal life? We must what? Seek God, right? That's clear. Okay, so in other words, I want to notice that the Bible doesn't say that we ought to seek the church. The Bible doesn't say that we ought to seek 3ABN. The Bible doesn't say that we need to seek the pastor, but instead we, the Bible says that we need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, and then and only then shall we live this morning. Amen? The Word of God. Now, what does the Bible say our sinful flesh will not do? Turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 11 in your Bibles. Turn me to Romans chapter 3, verse 11. And notice that the Bible says that we of our own human flesh are not able to do. Now the Bible says in order to have eternal life, you must seek the Lord. But notice what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says, There is none that understands. There is none that what? Seek after God. Now, wait a minute. And Amos was saying, if you want eternal life, you must seek after God. And then comes Paul in Romans and says, wait a minute, up on songs, you cannot seek after God. Are you following me? So, my question this morning is this. Is God asking us to do something we're not able to do? And by doing this, why does he make eternal life seem so impossible then? 
There's an answer. Turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke chapter 19 in your Bibles, verse 10. Luke 19, verse 10. And notice what the Bible says this morning. The Bible says, For the Son of Man, Jesus, is come to what? Seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save the lost. Now, what we find here is not, in this text, is not us seeking after God, right? Are you following me? It's who? It's God seeking after what? Us this morning. Amen? It's not us seeking after God. In other words, you need to understand that love awakens love. Seeking awakens seeking within that heart. Example. There are many couples, stories of couples, where at one time, maybe this happened to your relationship. Has, are you involved in a relationship, or you were once, or you married to that person, but maybe there was someone that you really, really liked, and you were attracted to this person. And what happened was you pursued that person. You showed attraction to that person. You sought after the person. You were seeking that person. You were um, chasing this person, right? And as you chase that person, Guess what? Over time, after you pursuing that person and chasing that person and seeking after this person, there was awakening within that person a love that responded back to your seeking, right? Does anyone know anyone like that or actually isn't one relationship like that or is that part of your married couple? <laughs> and you've seen that happen where love awakened love within that person. That person and that person said, I would you ever heard somebody say this? I would never go for that person. You ever heard that? And six months later, they're engaged to get married. Anybody know someone like that? What happened was they used the law that love awakens love, that seeking awakens seeking. And so this principle is true, that what happens here is that God is the one who initiates in seeking after us with his love and then awakens within us a response to then seek after God. In other words, if God did not seek after me first, I would not seek after my God. My human heart is so corrupt and deceitful above and desperately wicked above all things, right? I of my own self would not seek after God, but only when I realize that there is a God, the Son of Man has come to save and to seek people like, that's lost like me. It awakens a response in me that I want to seek after this God who loves me so much. Amen? The reason why we love Him is because He first loved us amen for he initiated and then we responded this morning and i praise god that this morning that he loves me first rather than expecting me to love him first for if god would expect me to seek him first i would have never sought him if god would expected me to pursue him first i would never pursued him if god would expected me to chase him i would first i would never have chased god but it's only because he loved me first that I love him this morning. How about you this morning? Amen? Do you love him? Have you seen his love, his initiation of love toward you? Is your heart so hardened that it can't even sense or feel the presence of God working upon your heart this morning? God is seeking you and chasing you. Wave after wave of grace and love trying to win you, to see his, his love toward you so that you may respond back to him. And I want to respond, how about you, amen? 
Turn me to Luke chapter 15. It's a few books, be chapters before. Luke chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. We're going to look at some stories and parables in this Bible. And the first story is about the lost sheep. Now, what does a shepherd do when one of his sheep is lost? Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, notice what it says. It says, One man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not lead the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he has found it, he laid on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now my question this morning is this. In this story, who is it that finds who? Does, in this story, is it the sheep that actually goes and finds the shepherd in the story? No. Or is it the shepherd that actually finds the sheep? It's the shepherd that finds the sheep this morning. Now, just like this sheep, there are some of us in this world who know, the sheep knows it's lost up there in the mountains, but it cannot find its way back. And there's some of us who are lost in the world, or even lost in the church, and we don't know our way back home to Jesus Christ. But beloved, we're not to worry, for we respond to Jesus' calling. He will help us back home this morning. Amen? The shepherd seeks after the sheep. We cannot seek after God. Only as we respond to his calling can we hear him know where he's at. Can we respond to him and thus love him, serve him with all of our lives. You see, sometimes we see a God who is cold and distant this morning, who wants us to seek him out. But this is not true, for God's a God who is very interested in you this morning, who will go to any extreme to bring you back home to himself. And what a wonderful God we serve this morning. Amen? If I think about my life and I was looking back and I was actually preparing this sermon, God was, at one time in my life, God wasn't even in my thoughts. I don't know about you, but God wasn't even in my thoughts. And I felt, I was coming to a point in my life that, you know, I didn't want to be like I felt a lot of church were hypocrites. You know, I didn't want to come to church and actually, if I wasn't real with God, I didn't even want to go to church. I mean, that's how I felt. And um, to see that in a church just totally blew me away, actually. To see people coming, they're not really 100% for God. It totally shocked me. And so here I'm like, I'm going to, in fact, I think God was in my thoughts. And I thought that I'm going to just go live my way how I want to live it. And I was thinking about this sermon, you know, if God had to depend upon me searching after God, I would have never became a Christian, never, less alone a pastor. Amen? How about you? You think about your life, your life could have turned this way or that way, right? But you're here this morning, or most of you here this morning, maybe because you know that God called you here, right? And that you really want to serve Him. You really love Him with all your heart. And God wants us to truly love Him and surrender our lives to Him because we serve a, a loving God. Now look at the verse 8. This is another story here. Look at verse 8 about a woman who lost her coin. Same story, different, same principle. Either what woman, Jesus says, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. Now, we're going to decipher this text, and I want you to put your finger in this text and then turn in me to Isaiah 28, verse 17. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 17 in your Bibles. And we're going to use the Bible to interpret itself and 
define what is this text really saying. So we're going to look at what does sweeping away represent? What is swept away when you sweep something away? Notice the Bible says in Isaiah 28, verse 17, the Bible says, Judgment also will lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet, and the hail shall sweep away what? The refuge of what? Lies. And the water shall overflow the hiding place. So when you sweep something away, what are you sweeping away? The refuge of what? When something is swept away, what is swept away? Lies is swept away. So let's go back to Luke chapter 15, verse 8, and let's interpret this text with that understanding. So now we know in verse 8, now also besides that, light, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, that the light of the truth of the knowledge of God, right, God's character, the glory of God, right, God's character of love. In other words, light reveals the truth of God's love to us, right? That's what light does. So what else in verse 8 do we see there that needs to be interpreted? Sweep the house. Now, a house was the house of God or the temple of God. And, who, and what does the Bible say about the temple of God? Who is the temple of God? We are the house of God. We are the temple of God where the Holy Spirit, Spirit dwells within us. So let's interpret this text according to what those Bible texts say. So there's a woman, she's looking for this lost coin. And in order to find this lost coin, the truth of the true love of God must sweep away the, the lies, right, within our bodies and what we think and what we see about who God is. Sweep away the lies that Satan gives about God's character, that he is a cruel and a mean God, right? And so when, when, when Jesus comes and sweeps a house, he will take away the false perceptions, the false picture of who we think God is, the lies about his character of love, so that we may love God and thus obey him with all of our hearts this morning. You believe what the word is saying, let me hear you say amen. Amen? See, God sends the light of his love in order to sweep away the lies that God is callous and mean. And just like this coin, you know the sheep knew it was lost, but it couldn't find its way back. But does a coin have a character and conscience and thoughts and feelings? No. So one story here with the sheep, he, he, he knows it's lost, but still can't find his way back. But there's some people in the world, even in the church, that don't even know they're lost. And God still searches for them also. And he tries to sweep away the lies that they have in their mind of what is truth. And he, he tries with his mercy, waves of mercy and grace over and over again, trying to help them to realize that they're lost and in need to be found. May God help us to realize that if that's me and you, that we may see it this morning. God pursues us, even though we don't know we're lost. You see, God is always aggressive whenever he pursues whom he loves, and he loves you and me this morning, beloved. What a wonderful God we serve, right? Amen? Let's look at the other parable, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 16. Look at, let's look at this, this parable here in verse 11 of chapter 15. This is the story of the two sons. The Bible says in verse 11, he said, just talking about Jesus, certain man had how many sons? Two sons. We're going to look at two sons this morning, not just one son, two sons. And the younger of them, when the younger son said to his father, what do you say to his father? Father, 
Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And the father divided unto him his living. So the youngest son had wanted the portion of his father's will. But what's the problem with this story? Is the father dead yet? The father is still alive, even before his father died. So basically, what he was saying was that, he said to his father, I wish that you were dead so that I could get your money. In other words, this was a very, not in that culture, but even in this culture, this is, a, is very disrespectful, is it not? To tell you that I wish you were dead because I want your money. You know, people are, you see a lot of people, they're more and more going to even wishing their parents are dead so they can get their inheritance within the will. And so it was very disrespectful. And what else happened next? So he, and the father, being kind-hearted, this father actually gave him his, his, his inheritance, his portion, before he died. And those what happens in 13. Not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. In other words, he wasted his whole life earnings all upon himself. Selfish pleasure. All for himself. Never mind his uncle needed money for his cancer treatment. Never mind that his cousin was suffering and living on the beach. Never mind all these things. It was all based upon his own self and selfish pursuits. And he blew all his money on partying and riotous living and this craziness. He blew all his money on everybody. Blew all his money upon himself rather than anyone else. What else happened? Those don't have what else happened in, as we go on this story. 14 says, And when he had spent, how much? Oh, there arose a mighty famine in the land and began to be in want. He lost everything. Then there was a famine. And he went and enjoined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed what? Now, Jesus is talking to who? What nationalities? Jews. Now, what do you know about Jews and pigs? Not only did not eat it, they don't even touch pigs, right? So now you have him, he's now working at a pig farm, right? And not only that, verse 16, he was so hungry, he would have fain have filled, he would have filled his belly with the husk, with the food that the swine ate, and no man gave him anything. In other words, he had so fallen from his, his rich heritage of a, a wealthy family, he took all his other heritage, blew it all on himself, selfish, and then he went out and he lost everything, and then all his friends dug out from him because he had no more money, right? And now he's stuck there in a pig pen, feeding pigs, and there's a famine, there's hardly any food left, and he had no food himself. He felt that the pigs were better off than himself. That he rather... He had degraded himself so far that he would actually eat the food of pigs who Jews did not like, would not eat, would not even touch. And not only that, he dishonored his family and all these things that he did. Word got out what he did to his father, the disrespect that he showed him. Now what happened next? What did his son think about when he thought about going home? Notice what his Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. The Bible says, and when he came to himself, he said, he's thinking about it. He said, how many servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? 
I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of the hired servants. Now I want you to notice, when he thought about his father, you know, there's something about father within every child's heart is a hunger to be loved by their father. It doesn't matter how old you are. You may be 70 years old or 80 years old. Within every child's heart is a hunger to be loved and recognized, appreciated, and accepted by their father. And when he thought about his home and he thought about his family, when he thought about his father, he realized that his father was a loving, merciful God, that merciful father, he respected his, even his servants so much that they had not only food to eat, but they had more than enough food to eat. It doesn't matter if it was, it had, it was a lot of food in the land or there was a famine in the land. He treated all his people with respect. And he respected his father. He looked up to his father. And he loved his father. And he's thinking that they were living better than he was. What else happened? He said, I will go and arise and go to my father. You see, beloved, this young man knew that the welcome light was always on for him at home. And beloved, there should never be a time where we ever tell our children to get out of our house and never come back. Amen? If there are things that they're doing wrong, say, that's not welcome here, you may leave, but I, and when you change, you can always come home to this home. Amen? There should never be a time we ever tell, how many times I hear people telling, get out of this home and don't ever see your face again and don't ever come back. If that young man had remembered, if the last words that this young man had heard was don't ever come home and I don't ever see your face again, he would never have thought about coming back home, true? But the last words was ringing in his ear that, son, if you ever need a place to stay, if you ever have a place to go to, if you ever down and out, and you have no friends to turn on, you, you lost everything, I want you to remember that the light will always be home on for you. That this home will be there for you. I will always be there for you because you're still my son and I love you. And beloved, so it is with our heavenly father. For even though we have wasted away our, our lives on ourselves, even though we are living in a pigsty of sin, even though we have dishonored our Heavenly Father, God still has left the welcome mat out for you. And his last words before he left was that, if you ever change your mind, if you ever want to come back, you always have a welcome place in this home, beloved. Amen? And God is welcoming everyone here this morning. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, and how you look like. It doesn't matter. God says, you always welcome in my home. People in, his, in the community, they kick their kids out as if they didn't raise them for 16 years. But we have a God in heaven who sees every tear that falls, every heart that hurts. And he sees you and says, you welcome home. Any time of the night, you can come home. Any time of the day, 24 hours a day, you are welcome in this house because I love you. Not because of what you do, because you're my child. Is that not how Christians should treat their children who are there lost in the world? 
What did the father do in verse 20? You know what the Bible says in verse 20? He's already making it, his thoughts, what he's going to say to his father. The Bible says, and he arose, the son arose. He's going back home and came to his father. But when he was yet, the son was a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, when did the father see this son? When he was near in the house or near the house? What does the Bible say? Way great. Now, how in the world is a father going to see his son a great way off unless that father has been waiting up night after night for his son to come home and looking in the distance, waiting for his son. True? How many parents have ever waited up for your son to come home from a party? Your daughter to come home from celebration? Well, how many of you actually made your parents wait up for you to come home from a party? And they actually waited up for you. Can you imagine how God must feel as he waits and he waits for you to come home? Our Heavenly Father, even though we live selfishly for ourselves, God is still waiting up for us, hoping that we would one day come home. When the father saw his son, he had compassion, the Bible says for him. He had compassion, and then he ran to his son, and he embraced his son, he fell on his son's neck, and the Bible says he kissed his son. And never mind he smelled like pigs. And never mind he looked all dirty. Never mind he looked so filthy. His father still embraced him, beloved. Amen? And beloved, never mind you smell like spiritual pigs. Never mind you look spiritually dirty. Never mind you're so spiritually filthy. For our Heavenly Father in Heaven will still embrace us when we finally come home, beloved. Amen? That's the kind of Father that I have and you have in Heaven. What a mighty God that we have. What else did the Father do? Look at verse 21 and 24. The Bible says, Father embraced his son. He hugged his son. And the son said unto him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. No more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. What a wonderful sight. Amen. The father was not so much interested in what his son had to say, but instead he poured out his heart in acceptance and love to his son who had been lost but is now is found, who is dead that is now alive in his eyes. In other words, his father loved his son regardless of what he had done and regardless of how he had looked like. In other words, his love for his son was not based upon externals. And the son finally experienced the love of his father. And because of this love of the father that he experienced, from that point on, he would go to sin no more. In the same way, our Heavenly Father loves and accepts us, not because of how we look like, not because of what we have done, but just because, just because we are his children. Amen? 
And he wants us to experience his love so we will go and sin no more. It was not based, God, see, God's love is not based, like the father's love for his son was not based upon what he smelled like. He smelled like pigs. What he looked like, he was filthy and dirty and smelly. It wasn't based upon that. The love of the father to the son was based upon that he was his child. And God would have us that we would love our children as much as God loves us, beloved. Amen? And not only our children in our home, but our children in our, in our churches. That we would love them in spite of what they look like, what they've done externally. He saw the inside, the heart. And what he really wanted was repentance in his life. This, looking on the inside, not based upon the outside, is called righteousness by faith. Now, what did he, the, the story doesn't end there. We like to end there with this story. But the Bible says that there were two sons. There was the younger son, who was a prodigal son, and then there's the older son, who was a faithful son that stayed at home. Look at verse chapter 15, verse 25. Notice the Bible says, the 28. Notice the Bible says about the other son. Now, this is after they began to be married in 24. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. They have a big celebration. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, your, your brother is come, and your father has killed the fattest calf, because he received him safe and sound. Now notice the reaction in verse 28. How did the older brother respond? The Bible says, and he, the older brother, was what? Angry. And would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. In other words, the older brother was angry at his younger brother because not only had the, he did disgraced the family, but he had the arrogance to come back home, right? In fact, he hated his, listen to this, he hated his brother so much that he would not go in. Does not the Bible talk about those who hate their brother is a liar who say they love God? who would not go into the kingdom of heaven. He would not go in. And that day, the father had to come out. It said the Bible said he came out. The father came out, the Bible says. In other words, that day, the father had to come out twice. The first time, for a repentant, lost sinner. And the second time, for a self-righteous, lost church member. Now, why was the oldest son angry? Notice what the Bible says here. Chapter 15, verse 29. And he answers, said to his father. The father says, please come in. Please, please come and be saved. Come inside the ark and be saved. Come in. The younger son, the oldest son answers, said to his father. Lo, these, all these years I've served you. I've slaved you. I did what is right. I went to church every week. I did all the good things. All these years I serve you. Neither have I transgressed I at any time your commandment. Neither have I broke any of the laws or broke any of the commandments. And yet you never gave me a kid or a party that I may make merry my friends. 
But as soon as your son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, and you have killed for him the fatted calf. The older brother was angry. He was angry at his, at his brother and his, also his, his father because he had stayed home and faithfully served in the church and his God and thus felt from all his works he had rightly, rightfully earned his father's blessings upon him. Rather than serving God, the father out of a heart appreciation for what his father has done for him, he had done good works in order to earn the appreciation and love of his, and blessings of his father. And beloved, could this be said of us and you today? Are you serving your heavenly father with the hopes that you will be blessed by him on this earth or one day be saved into heaven? This is righteousness, righteousness by works. What did the father say to him? Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 31 and 32. Look what the Bible says. And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. In other words, I give you all my blessings all the time. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The father said to his older son, all of my blessings are given to you now, and are given to you now so that you would then, out of response, then do good. But son, what you're doing is, you're actually doing good in order to get blessed by me and loved by me. And once you experience the grace and mercy of God, that my love is through everyone, wicked and evil, in the church, out of the church, it doesn't matter, we're all equal, then you're going to come and celebrate with me, right? Amen? You're going to celebrate the lost sheep that came home, the one that came to church who's been gone, because my love is equal to every single one out there. And this is righteous by faith. You don't do good and come to church and do all the external things in order to get my blessings and to get the blessings I give. God said here that I give you all the blessings first. When you're yet still a sinner, I died for you and loved you, right? And when you have all these things and blessings and love I give to you first, it softens and melts the heart and it changes the life and then you will do good and you will be obedient to his word, amen? And that love we're seeing, you know, we're told inspiration that those who put God first, last, and best are the happiest people in the world, amen? And you can tell if people are not happy, there's somewhere in their life, there are many places in their life, they're not putting God first, and we as Christians should be the happiest people in the world, amen? It should not be in the people in the world that they're more happier than us. This must be a problem, amen? People would rather be out in the world, they seem like they're having more fun, they're actually more happy. But in a church, we should be the most happiest, friendliest, smiliest people there is in this world, Amen? And that's what the word says. But unfortunately, this lesson was to the Jews of those days, God's remnant church of those days. And the church members were mad. The older brother was mad that there were people in the world that were coming in and were being converted, and they were on fire because they had a true conversion in their heart. And would not go in. They would not be celebrating when the lost soul decided to come home. Beloved, we may have pursued love our whole lives, but we need to finally realize that we are currently being pursued by greater love than we have ever known. Amen.
but behind every longing to love. Every time we have a longing to love, is actually there's a God making us the very object of his love this morning. So this morning, may we turn to a God who is willing to fulfill the deepest cravings of your soul. May we turn to a God that wants to fulfill the deepest longings of your heart this morning. This is my desire. Is it yours also? Do you want to serve him with all your heart? How many of you want to show your love for God by doing something generous and extravagant for him? Let me see your hands, amen? That includes service and ministry for him. The Bible says that God gives everyone a ministry and gives us several ministries, actually. So we have, every single one of you has more than one ministry. And God wants us to pray and ask God, what is the ministry that God has called us to and called you to? You want to do something generous and extravagant for him? We're going to be doing discipleship classes at the end of, actually, every Sabbath, starting in January, rotating. And I'll be doing some, Auntie Joyce and Uncle Leroy are doing their spiritual gifts. And then the first class I'm doing is actually called Spirit-Filled Preaching. I'm going to teach you how to preach. Now, as a first, it's a high calling and it's a challenge. But here's my challenge to you. You really want to do something generous and extravagant for God? Why don't you try preaching? Give it a shot. You know, people say, well, that's not my gift. But my question has always been this. How, like example, if you had a, people say, I know people would say they don't like rambutan. But what if someone says to you, I don't like rambutan, I hate it, I don't like its taste, I don't know how it, how it, how it goes in my, feels in my mouth. And then you ask that person, well, have you ever tried it? And they say, Oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> like, how can you say you don't like rambutan if you never even tried it? So my question is, how can you say you don't like preaching if you never tried preaching? <laughs> right? And I thought about why people don't like to preach or do any other ministry. And I, because the Bible says everyone is a priest, everyone is a minister, a pastor, with several gifts given to us. So I tell people, like my daughter, I believe she can do anything. I believe in every single one of you here that, that you can do whatever God calls you to do. Amen? I believe in you. And you accomplish what... The only problem is that you have to believe also. You're only going to accomplish what you believe. You know, when you say, well, I don't want to preach because I'm scared. The reason why we're scared is pride. Because really what we do, we hold ourselves and we exalt our selfish pride about who we think we are. And we exalt this picture of who we are to everyone else out there, right? And we want everyone to look at us a certain way to be good, and we're good at this. And, and we don't want people to look down upon, us, down upon us because we want to exalt our perception of who we are to other people. And so when we come up here and we preach and we feel that we didn't do a good job, then we feel that people are going to look down upon us, thus ruin our image of who we want people to see ourselves as. Are you following me? which is pride. So that's my challenge again. God wants us to step up and come up higher. Amen? But the pride of men will be destroyed. Every mountain will be laid low. Every valley will be, made, will be lifted up. Every, and the crooked places will be made straight. And all shall flesh shall see the glory of the Lord and not us. Amen? Do you believe is my question. That's my, my challenge. My first class is this afternoon at 2 o'clock. 
And I was praying for one thing. You know, I know people have been asking me for this class, and that's why I did it. So I had these people coming to this class, and I know already in my mind who's coming. But I said, Lord, please, if you can just send one person who actually believes in you that can, can do and do all things through Jesus Christ, I'd like to be surprised, and I want God to be surprised this afternoon. Can this be one person? That's my prayer. One person who actually willing to step up by faith, and God can use them in a mighty way. That's my prayer. How about you? Amen? Do you believe this morning is my question. We're going to be doing different discipleship training so you may discover your gifts, what you may like and what you don't like, but to help you discover what your gifts are. Our closing song this morning is, Oh, how I love Jesus. May you sing with the spirit and experience this morning as we sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. 248 in your hymnals. 248 in your hymnals.